Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 133 this morning. We're going to talk about the fellowship of the Lord's suffering tied in with a Bible study I've entitled The Blessing of Fellowship. So let's go where Paul read for us earlier, Psalm 133, as we make our way through God's Word. Just three verses this morning, but I think I set a record with cross-references. I'm not sure. So if, if that scares you, it should. <laughs> Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garment. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We are reading a psalm of David. It's one of the shortest ones. It's uh, next to uh, 117. It has three verses. And David here has uh, many moments of um, his emotional roller coaster. He can be writing a psalm of praise and thanksgiving one minute. And then he can be writing a psalm of despair. This particular 1, 133, is David's observation of watching the blessedness of God's people from a distance, just checking them out. And he observes how good and how pleasant it is for those people who dwell together in unity. And so he wrote that this psalm with the idea of, of the blessedness of uh, fellowship. I want to begin this study by making a, a contrast and a, a distinction of really only two kinds of people in the world. And uh, to start that, we need to go to one of our first cross-references, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So let's make our way over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And while you're turning, let me mention, <clears throat> when I use the word fellowship, the first time it occurs in the Bible is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And there it's translated uh, from the Greek word uh, koinonia, fellowship. The Greek word koinonia describes the relationship within the early church and those who had just become believers. Now, as you look at Acts chapter 2, there's about 3,000 people that were um, not saved one moment, and then after Peter's message, 3,000 getting saved, getting filled um, with the Spirit, and now we have this first time the word is used, and it's, it's used in, and we'll actually go there a little bit later. But there were more than 3,000 people there that day, and some of them were born again, and they experienced koinonia. But there were others that did not accept Christ, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about before we go any farther. The distinction between the natural man and the spiritual man. So if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 6, where Paul is writing, he said, We speak among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God, in a mystery, the hidden 
wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written, eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things to spiritual things. Now here's verse 14, listen well. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know him, because I would just read, he's not born again. So as we begin this study, it's important that if we're gonna talk about fellowship this morning and koinonia, let me just say some are gonna get it. I'm hoping, hoping everybody here gets it. And there'll be those that don't have a clue of what we're talking about. And uh, they are simply concerned with the things of the natural man and there's a difference between a guy who's born again and a guy who's, who's not born again. The natural man is really interested in one thing, and that's the things of this life, and he lives for this life and this life only. The spiritual man realizes that we're pilgrims and strangers here. We're soldiers. We're told to touch this life lightly. Uh, don't get your claws too deeply dug in because we're just, we're just passing through. I just love that phrase. We're just passing through. And we're here for a while, and then we're gone. But we seek something more than this life, and um, that is the kingdom of heaven that we've been, been told to pray for. So the natural man is, is going to be different, and I'm going to have you turn to Galatians at this point and really drive, uh, hopefully drive the point home, um, what constitutes the lifestyle of somebody who has not been born of the Spirit versus the lifestyle and what a person desires when they've been, been born again. So in Galatians 5, picking it up in about verse um, oh, 19, this would be, again, the natural man who doesn't get it. And these are his physical body appetites, and they are listed in verse 19. They're evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me just emphasize something. What we read here is a lifestyle. It's, it's the lifestyle of somebody who's not been born of the Spirit, and this is everyday life for them. I remember, I, I, I didn't think it was wrong before I was a Christian, 
I could swear with the best of them. You know, it didn't, didn't bother me in the least. It's just part of my vocabulary. And when I got saved, you know, I got to uh, that part where you take Jesus' name in vain and I could go, that's all, that, that, that's all I could do. Because I knew it was wrong. Something had changed in here. And I could no longer take that precious name in vain any longer. It was the very first thing to go for me. And I said, something's different here. And uh, it was a, that conviction that that name is to be revered and not taken in that manner. So it was one of the, the first indicators that, that uh, I was probably really born again by the Spirit. Now, in verses 22 to 25, the characteristics of the person who has been born by the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit and, um, is love. And it, everything after what we're going to read next, joy and peace and so forth, is really an attribute of the agape love that God gives us when a person comes to him. God so loved you, and he put his love upon you. And when that love comes upon you, then what you have is joy. You have peace, long-suffering. You're a lot more patient with people. It's kindness, goodness. There's a faithfulness there. Um, gentleness becomes a characteristic, self-control, Against such there is no law. Let me just say this. This is not instantaneous. This is a process. There's, there's something we call justification. So when you accepted Jesus, you were justified, just as if you'd never sinned. That's the way God looks at it. But then there's this process where he works these attributes into us, and it doesn't happen overnight. We call it the sanctification process where you're being changed from glory into glory into his image. And it, it, it happens as we study the word. We're getting washed in the word on a weekly basis. And uh, we go through trials. And um, through that, we take on these characteristics, learning that God is able to bring us through difficult times. Verse 24, those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, then let's walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Um, I have, have a friend, lives out of town, but every time I see him, he asks me the same question. He says, so Dwight, what's the Lord showing you lately? Every time I see him, I know what he's going to say before he says it. So I throw it right back at him. And I say, well, what's the Lord been showing you? And we're just into that frame of mind, and he tells me what the Lord's been showing him, and I tell him what the Lord's, and so on and so forth. And what we're doing is we're engaging um, in conversation that, um, that a person that is not born again can't relate to. For instance, the natural man has really no desire to do what you folks are doing this morning. Here we are having a Bible study from Psalm 133. And there's no way that they would find any interest in doing what you guys are doing this morning. On the other hand, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in fellowship. If, you, if you've been on vacation or gone for any period of time at all, um, and you miss a week or two, all of a sudden you find yourself back worshiping again, back in a Bible study, and you go, oh, this is really true. Behold how good, this is pleasant. This is rich. This really does satisfy 
the soul. So for us this morning, it's, we understand what Jesus said, where man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from this book, we get it. Um, newborn baby Christians, I wanted to, first, I think one of the first books I read was Revelation. I did not understand a word I read, but you know what? I believed every bit of it, even though I didn't understand any of it. And I have no explanation for that. I just had this desire that I wanted to know. And I found out that's natural. When a baby is born, how does it know instinctively to suckle immediately? And it's in nature. You can watch the nature films and you can watch a calf drop out in the African Sahara somewhere. And as soon as that little calf is dropped, what does it do? Well, it makes its way up and starts suckling. Well, how does it know how to do that? Because it desires to be fed. Something that's a naturally inbred instinct that God put there. First Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's something we're instructed to do. All right. That's what it is. Let's go to number two. Where is our fellowship to be held? Let's go to 1 John, and that's towards the end of uh, the the New Testament. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. John is older at this time. The year is about 90 A.D., John has mellowed out quite a bit from his early days. Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. They had uh, short tempers, uh, but as they grew in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, their, their nature was changed. And so as we pick up verse 1 of First John, we read, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declared to you that you also, notice, may have fellowship with us. We're talking to you what's been passed down to us so that now you can have fellowship with us. And then it says, and truly our fellowship is really with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The disciples were watching the Lord pray one day. I would have loved to have seen this. And there was just something about what Jesus was doing as he was talking to his heavenly Father that they said, Lord, would you teach us how to do that, what you're doing right now? It looks good, and I think I want it. And he says, okay. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. And that's where our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But I'd be more interested in what provoked them to desire. They, they saw Jesus doing it. They said, what, that you got, you do it? Teach us, Lord, how we can do that. And so... This is what John is saying. It's been passed on to Jesus to us. Now we want to pass it on to you. Why? Verse 4. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
so that you know that you have a purpose and a reason for being here, that you're not some accident that happened over millions of years of, of evolution, that there's a purpose and a plan, that you were created for what? To have fellowship with who? Your creator, your father who loves you, so that your joy can be full. Verse five, this is the message which we've heard from him, and we declare it to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, notice, we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, well then we're liars, we're not telling the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He wants your joy to be full. And fellowship can take place actually anywhere. Now some of you are fortunate enough, maybe you, have, you work in an environment where you're lucky enough actually to have a boss who is saved. I think it would have been great to work for Boaz in the Old Testament. You know, he was wealthy, he had a lot of workers, a lot of fields. You know what he did when he showed up in the morning? He'd say, praise the Lord. How would you like it if your boss showed up in the morning and said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Some of you are saying, yeah, I wish he would say that. (laughs) Well, it was Boaz. He was the boss. And maybe some of you are fortunate to have fellowship on your job sites. Others of you are thinking, I wish I had fellowship on my job site. I'm the only guy there. And uh, they don't like me. I've been marginalized just because I'm a believer. And um, we find uh, that fellowship can really take place anywhere. Maybe you're just glad to get home so you can maybe talk with your wife or your kids about what the Lord did that day or didn't do that day. Um, Sometimes it's just can't wait for Sunday morning or maybe Wednesday night or maybe men's or women's prayer on Saturday mornings or a woman's luncheon that's coming up on the 6th or the dinner 6th. Wherever two or three are gathered together, what did the Lord say? I'm there. And uh, don't get me wrong, one-on-one is what it's all about, but something special happens whenever two or three are gathered in his name. Let's go to John 4. Huh. Did the first service too. I just went like that, and then there it is, right there. <laughs> this woman um, was a Samaritan. She had a tough life, and um, she'd been married about five times, living with a guy. And the Lord was drawing this woman out. He purposely went to Samaria because he had this appointment with this woman that she didn't know about. And finally, the Lord opened her up enough so that she started asking questions because Jesus had told her things that nobody else could tell her. What was really eating her and what she really wanted to know, if you look at verse 20, she, um, by the way, the mountain talked about here is Mount Gerizim. It's where the Samaritans would have worshipped. And uh, in verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped on this mount, what is called Gerizim. But you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. 
when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He's talking about future tense. But during this time, the prescribed place to worship was in, in the temple. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and notice, and now is that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Interesting that God is actually looking for people to be grateful and and show gratitude in worshiping him. And it can be anywhere. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is a theological term we throw around to describe the, the character and nature of our creator, our heavenly father. And one of them is that he's omnipresent. And what that means is that, that there's not any place that God isn't. David probably summed it up best in Psalm 139, where he says, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I would take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there you're going to lead me, and your right hand will uphold me. Now, having said that, and using the terminology omnipresent, that God is everywhere. Let's be careful because uh, what's taking place in the New Age movement today is taking the term that I just used and is misusing it by saying, yes, God is in all and all, and you yourself, because God is in you, therefore, you yourself are a God. Well, let me clarify something right here. That's not true. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? Why not? Because we sinned, you see. And our sin has separated us from God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and said, it is finished, something happened. There was a veil in the temple that separated man from a holy God. There was no oneness with man. And all of a sudden that was ripped apart. And now you have whosoever will. A whosoever is somebody who exercises their free will by saying, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and as a result of that, the veil of separation has now been taken away, and he can dwell in me. But there were more than 3,000 people that heard the gospel preached by Peter on Pentecost Sunday. Not everybody was born again that day. And so we have to be careful. Let me just throw this out. I talked to our friend Chris Katana a couple of days ago, he had just gotten back from seeing Carol Matriciani. Carol was here last year with our, our prophecy conference, had a terrible accident down in Madison, took her a month to recover from that, only to go to California and find out she has breast cancer and just going through a lot. But in talking to Chris, you know, she's so positive, she's going around encouraging everybody else when she's the one that's battling cancer. But that's just Carol. I bring her up because she grew up in India, where they have three million different kinds of gods, and she's very well aware of exposing the New Age teaching that exists in our culture and in our society today. She's been there. She's done that. And nobody better than someone who's been there and done it to explain why it's wrong. And so she's given her life to explaining that, yes, God is omnipresent, 
But that doesn't mean that you're a God or that God lives in you unless you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And let me add that there's no other way. None, zilch. There's no other name under heaven where we can be saved. So when I use the terminology omnipresent, God is everywhere, yes, that's true. David said so. But you're a unique uh, human being that has a free nature and your eternal destiny decides on, on uh, how you exercise your free will. All right? Wherever two or three are gathered together, he says, I am there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. We're way past that, okay? So what does that mean? Wherever two or three are gathered together, I am there. Well, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Exactly what I said. That Jesus Christ is here right now this morning because there's more than two or three of us. Somebody want to say amen to that? You want to let that settle in a little bit? Um, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not always awake in the morning. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, oh, I did remember. Ramblin' Jack Elliott. I'll, I'll try to make my way back to our Bible study. Hang with me, okay? Judy and I are driving to church this morning, and, um, and I had the station on, and, and it played um, a Ramblin' Jack Elliott song. Does anybody, can anybody tell me about my soul? That's the whole song. Anybody tell me about my soul? What is soul? What is a soul? That was the whole song. And he, ta- he starts talking about the Lord and um, in it, he's not saved at the time. By the way, Ramblin' Jack Elliott is saved today. I don't know if you knew that. Um, he got baptized twice, he said. He said, the first time it didn't take, so I had to do it again. He said, it took the second time. But he has a testimony for Christ. But when this song, this is an old, old song. It was a folk station we were listening to. And here's Ramblin' Jack Elliott. How many even know who Ramblin' Jack Elliott is? I'm just kidding. Some of us older people, see? Some of us old folkies. He traveled with, with Dylan during his time, and boy, I'm really getting sidetracked now. But um, Bruce Coburn, we released it. Can anybody tell me about my soul? And Because um, he knows he has one. And, uh, and then he began talking about Jesus teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. And because I'm still waking up and not quite awake yet, all of a sudden I was conscious. All of a sudden the Lord had my attention. We're talking about the Lord here. And my head wasn't where it was supposed to be. And the Lord used Ramblin' Jack to get me thinking what I should be thinking. And those are um, the reality that he's, he's there using the simplest things to talk to us. Let's go to the why this morning. Why fellowship? Well, especially this week. You know, why fellowship? Because if we don't have one another, it's Mother's Day, so we're rejoicing with those who rejoice. A lot of you moms, praise the Lord, it's Mother's Day. It's going to be a day with the family and good cooking and, and loving on each other. But then it also says, and to weep with those who weep. And our hearts are broken this week. Um, Ed and Jenny sit right behind us. And, um, you know, Aaron lost a husband and a daughter. 
a week ago today, right now. And it's going to be a different kind of Mother's Day for her. But why fellowship? Because if there's no fellowship, then we can't weep with those who weep. And I don't know what people do who don't know the Lord and go through something like this, and they have no anchor to their soul. Of course she's brokenhearted. Of course there's going to be tears. But we weep not like those who don't have hope. I miss Chuck terribly. miss my mom and dad terribly. But I'm going to see him again. And I have absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. Or John or Olivia will see him again. Is Aaron's heart ripped out right now? Of course it is. And it's going to be a tough Mother's Day for her. And so... Why fellowship? Galatians 6, 2 says, so that we can bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Just let that person know that you're there. And sometimes the best thing to say is absolutely nothing, just being there, just so that they know that you're concerned and that you say you love them and you're praying for them. What are you doing? Well, we call that fellowship in the sense that you're bearing one another's burdens. Another reason why we have this is because it's specifically what Jesus prayed for, for you and for me. To show you that one, you need to go to John chapter 17. So John 17, this is really the Lord's Prayer. And verses one through five, Jesus prays for himself. Seven times in John's gospel, there's this phrase that says, my hour has not yet come seven times but in verse one now he says father the hour has come and he knows full well what lies ahead and he prays for himself in verses one through five in verses six through 19 he's praying for these men that left everything to follow him his disciples that he's going to be using them as instruments to carry on after he's gone along with the Holy Spirit. Now, picking it up in verse 20, he's praying for you, and he's praying for me. And what does he pray for? Fellowship. Let's read it, verse 1. I do not, verse 20 says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you have sent me and I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the one with which you love me may be in them and I in them. The mystery of the Godhead, the Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one. 
And now he's praying for us. What does he call us? He calls us his bride, the church. Somebody want to say amen to that? And so now what happens during a wedding ceremony? You have a bride and a groom coming down the aisle, two people. They come in, two, but they leave going out as one. And that's what the scriptures teach us. These two shall become one. And so what we have in view here is what does the Lord desire? He wants that fellowship that he has always had with the Father. It was only broken for that moment in time. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That had never been throughout eternity, and yet it happened for that moment. I can tell you, according to God's word, that you've been sealed by his Holy Spirit, and that when he comes to take us, either at the rapture or death or whatever scenario, whatever happens, that you will never, ever, throughout eternity, ever be separated from him. That's Jesus' prayer right here. Now, I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Because, quite frankly, I don't wake up in the spirit. You know that you don't either? You know Paul says you have to die daily? You know what that means? That means you wake up in the flesh. (laughs) And you gotta make a conscious decision. I can't make any conscious decisions before coffee time. No coffee, no worky, no nothing. Okay? That's just the way it is. And then I make my way to my wisdom for today, and I start fumbling around and try to get to that place where the Bible says you've got to die to yourself, Dwight. You've got to do it again today. You did it yesterday. And this is an ongoing process until we're out of here. And it's, it's got to be a, a, one of those disciplines that Paul talks about. You have to die daily so you don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But the good thing that I see here is that Jesus' prayer is for what? He wants us to see his glory. He wants us to be, able to, to be able to behold, to be one with him as he is with the Father. Wow. That's something that, uh, and, and then to have it, know that it will never be broken. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. As we talk about fellowship, remember I told you the very first time it's mentioned is the Greek word koinonia, and the first time it occurs is in Acts chapter 2. This is after the day of Pentecost. And uh, again, this is the birth of the church. 3,000 people get saved. And this is the first place the word koinonia shows up. It's in verse 42. It says, and they continued, now these would be the 3,000 new believers, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Now there's the word, it's koinonia, and it's directly connected with the breaking of bread. Yes, it's fellowship in the spirit, but it also ties in with the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, let me just stop and say that I really truly believe with all the strange stuff going in the church today. And um, boy, I'll tell you, some of the stuff that we saw down in the Phoenix area on TV, oh my goodness, I'm just uh, embarrassed for, and I understand why a lot of people are writing the Lord off with some of the three-ring circus stunts that are, are going on in some of this Christian programming. Don't even get me started on that. But as I look at Acts chapter two, I look at this and I, you know, you know what? This is doable. I can do this with the Lord's help. And it's, it's, uh, it is, I, I think, the blueprint 
that was given to the early church. And um, I believe if you continue as, as a lifestyle, these four things, you'll make it from point A to B and you won't burn yourself out in the process. Let's read it. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What's that? Just speaking in your Bible on a regular basis. Teaching, doctrine. And then in fellowship, what we're doing this morning. And um, what you're going to do when you leave and go home this afternoon. Breaking of bread is in, in reference to, I believe, remembering the Lord's death. And then the importance of prayer. I can't emphasize it enough. Churches should be built around prayer. I remember when there was just a couple hundred of us um, meeting at pastor's conferences way back. My first one was in 79. And I remember Chuck saying to, uh, he'd look at us and he'd sort of smirk and he goes, so you're the guys that are going to give up your weekends for the rest of your life, huh? (laughs) Chuck had a way of putting things in perspective that (laughs) he'd get your attention. And he says, I tell you what, guys. When you start, start a men's prayer meeting and don't stop. That's it. That's it. And so we have. From the day that we started, we started a men's prayer meeting and we have a women's prayer meeting. And, um, you know, it's the lifeblood of uh, your spiritual life. What is prayer but com- communing with our Father? Somebody want to say amen to that? So, that's as simple as it is. You're communing, you're having fellowship. And you're praying one for another as we're also commanded to do. But I look at this. It says, when they did this, uh, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Um, Verse 46, so continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God and have favor with all the people. And notice and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Here, we have a pattern being established that the church just adopted. And as they did that, the Lord saw to it that people were getting saved as they were being sent out. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to separate um, Barnabas and Saul, and, and we're going to send them out for ministry. And there's times that the Lord will do that. Um, But as I see this, let me just sum it up again by saying this is very, very doable. This principle in ministry, I think a model it should be for the church. All right. Um, You know, just being gone, we were fellowshipping in Calvary Chapel, Apache Junction last last Sunday. It was great. Guy's name is Charlie. He's a good friend of mine. And we just went in and we were just right at home. But I'll be honest, I miss being here. And so uh, it's just a blessing coming back, even though I'm gone Sunday. Um, it's just a blessing uh, t- to see you guys once or twice a week. And um, yeah, we miss each other when we're not, uh, when we're not um, having that. All right, let's go back to Psalm 133, verse 2. It says, David tries to describe how great it is for brethren that dwell together in unity. He likens it to the oil running down the beard of Aaron. I don't know if I could get all excited about that, but David did. 
Now, if I was writing this, I would say, you know, boy, it's sweet and it's great to fellowship with you guys. I'd liken it to, oh, let's see. How about driving my 66 Impella with the top down on a beautiful summer day listening to good music? I can identify with that. That's rich. That's nice. Letting that wind blow through your hair. And uh, so I'd probably put it more in those terms. But David said here, it's just a precious thing. And um, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about is when fellowship is not allowed. And now we're really switching gears big time. So there, there is a time when fellowship should be forbidden. And that's where I'm going to go next. You need to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Unfortunately, church discipline is not applied too much these days. In 2 Corinthians 6, there's two areas where we're told not to be yoked together with an unbeliever. So in verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has like with darkness? I believe um, this is talking primarily about two things. One, marriage. Uh, when uh, when uh, Christians get married, they should marry another believer. That's what's being talked about here. But I also believe it applies to, let's say you're a Christian businessman here this morning. And maybe you have a partner, or maybe you have your own business. Now, if you have your own business and your own boss, then this wouldn't apply to you. Because what it's saying is don't be unequally yoked. Let's say you have a partnership, and one of you is a believer, and one of you is not. Well, when it comes tax time, you're going to have different ways of looking at your taxes. Is everybody tracking with me? The Christian is going to be a dot in the I's and cross the T's. The other one's saying we can find a loophole here, we can find a loophole there, and we can get around it. And so don't, basically what Paul is saying is don't put yourself in that environment. But he says, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, and do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be a son to me. You know, the group that takes this verse out of context are the Amish. Now, there's a lot that I love and respect about the Amish. I like their laid-back lifestyle. I like the idea that they like horses and uh, the buggies and all of that. But they have taken this verse right here, come out from among them and be ye separate, to an extreme where they have now ceased. They become so marginalized into their own community that they've ceased to be light and salt in the world in which we live. Amongst themselves, they do just fine, I think. They're a little legalistic with the law. But do you know that their whole doctrine is based in this one verse right here? Come out from among them, be separate, and I will receive you. I get a kick out of them, though, because um, my dad used to have a, uh, a place up in Owen, Wisconsin, a lot of Amish people up there. And um, no phones. But they don't, it doesn't bother them at all. Go to the neighbor and use their phone. <laughs> No cars, but they don't mind getting a ride from if you've got to go into a long city far away. 
And, uh, well, it's not my car, <laughs> it's their car. <laughs> and so I think they cheat a little bit on some of their, some of their doctrines. All right. Um, another place, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That would be with believers and non-believers. Let's just talk about believer, a believer now who should not be in fellowship and is in fellowship. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read it and let it speak for itself. What was happening is I, I see the church of Corinth thinking themselves as being very progressive and very liberal in their thinking, and they're actually proud of it. So we read in verse 1, he says, Paul's writing, and he's only heard this report. He said, it's been reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality among you, uh, not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you're puffed up, and you have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. And Paul says, I'm absent from the body, I'm not there, but present in spirit, and I've already judged as though I were present concerning him who has done this deed. Somebody's thinking right now, oh, the Bible says in Matthew we're not to judge. Well, it tells us in chapter five that Paul says, I've already judged the matter. And we gotta be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when we're talking about judgment here. You know, the Bible says the spiritual man judges all things. And what we're talking about here is simply having discernment. Is this proper? You have to make a judgment. Or is this not proper? Paul is making a discerning judgment that what's happening in this particular church that he was referring to is not profit. He says, I judge. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, what does that mean? It means they were all having fellowship. But so was the guy that was having this adulterous ongoing relationship and everybody was just fine with it. And then he says, what you do is when you get together along with my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do you realize that the most loving thing that could have been done Paul was doing right here? When you read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and what we just read in Galatians, it says the list of those who are living in, uh, if adultery is a sexual relationship outside of marriage, fornication is just sexual relationship not being married. Both are saying if it's a continual lifestyle, and I'm not talking like King David blowing it with Bathsheba that time. He repented of that and he was restored. No, I'm talking the mentality that it's okay to live together and sleep together and still come to church on Sunday morning and think that everything is okay. This is where 1 Corinthians 6, 9 clarifies it by saying, don't be deceived. These will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the list is fornicators and those involved um, in adultery on an ongoing basis. Well, that's what was happening here. Turn him over to Satan. That sounds pretty heavy. What for? So that he'll repent, that he'll be out of fellowship, that he will miss fellowship. 
and that he'll realize that he's been disciplined and something's not right and he better make it right. Well, you know the good news to this story? The guy made it right. Paul in 2 Corinthians has to write another letter. He says, it broke my heart to have to write 1 Corinthians 5. But he says, I'm glad I did it because the guy repented. But now what was happening is everybody was back offish. Now he was back in the fellowship and nobody was coming up to him and saying, hey, bro, how's it going, man? Having a good day? No, 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 no. That's the guy. You know, that's him over there. We know what you did. That sort of thing. Paul says, no. You, you go out of your way uh, to restore such a one. And uh, the most loving thing that could have happened is uh, that this happens not only for the sake of that person, but if you read a little bit farther, he says your glorying is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? And unfortunately, we have churches today. Oh, everybody is welcome. Well, everybody's welcome at Calvary Chapel of Appleton. But I guarantee you, you if, if you're living that lifestyle, you're gonna feel real uncomfortable after about a month's time here, okay? And but other other churches are puffed up. Oh no no, everybody is welcome here, and you're never going to hear this passage preached on or taught, because it's not progressive, it's not loving, it's being judgmental. Is everybody tracking with me? I know it's a little awkward, but it's still. Paul says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump, and um, here's how it should be done. If you're taking notes this morning, you might want to read Galatians six one and two. It says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and then consider yourself lest you also be tempted. In other words, words, if somebody takes a fall and you know about it and they repent, the first thing it says, if 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 you're a spiritual man, first of all, Consider yourself and be gentle. Uh, and know that the same thing that happened to that him or that her, that could also happen to you. So that's how I want you to talk to them. And make sure you love on them. The second verse says, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. All right, I'm going to leave that one. There's one other area of fellowship that I need to talk about before we let you go. And you need to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And we'll pick it up in verse 8. This is a different kind of fellowship that Paul talks about. And it's necessary in our Christian walk. Let's pick it up. Oh, in verse verse 8, Paul says, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as roughage, rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now notice verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and then what? And the fellowship, here's the fellowship, of his sufferings being conformed even to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Part of the Christian walking is there's going to go, there's going to be dark days, and you're going to go through downright periods of time where you suffer. But it is a fellowship. It's an identification that you're identifying that our own Lord Jesus Christ suffered greatly for us. Second Timothy 2 says, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, what does that mean, if we endure? That means you have a tragedy in your life, and you don't get mad at God because of it. You don't understand it, but you're enduring, and I'm experiencing the fellowship of the suffering of my Savior. If we endure it, we will also reign with him, but if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. One more verse, verse three of Psalm 133. I like how it ends. Again, this is just David's observation. And in verse three, he says, Christian and uh, the, the, uh, um, the unity of the believers is so pleasant, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, which would be Jerusalem. And from there, the Lord commanded the blessing. What is the blessing? Life forevermore. Everlasting life was first given to us from when Jesus was in Jerusalem. Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha had sent messages He had watched, they had watched Jesus heal blind people, people that couldn't walk. They had no doubt that they could take care of their brother Lazarus. And the Lord did not show up, and Lazarus died. And Martha was upset, and she let him know about it. She said, Lord, you would have been here. This would have happened, implying she was upset. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looked at her and he said, do you believe this, Martha? And I like her answer. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The whole gospel, and especially as I think of this week and the the way this psalm ends, what is commanded? Life forevermore. Do you know that everybody lives forever? You know that? Everybody lives forever. Why? Because everybody has a soul, including the angelic realm. That's why there's a hell. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Why? because they're eternal beings. You're eternal, you have a soul. I am eternal, I have a soul. The question is not, will you live forever? The question is, where are you going to live forever? Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me. John 17, his prayer is gonna be fulfilled. Father, I just want them to see me in my glory. I want them to experience what you and I experience forever and ever and ever. That's what it says here, life forevermore. 
It's great having fellowship one with another, isn't it? But then we go out into the stinking world. Yeah, you heard me say stinking, and that's probably some of all, somebody, that'd be the only thing you remember all day, as Dwight said, stinking from the pulpit. But it is a stinking world, and it's getting worse all the time. And, um, and um, I hope you realize how precious it is, the fellowship that we have, and that we don't ever take it for granted. Because things are coming down with a lot of our brothers and sisters where they don't, they don't have what we're having right now. So I'm, I'm grateful for God's promises. I'm grateful for his spirit. I'm grateful for you guys, your, your uniqueness. There's only one of you. That's why you're so special. There's only one of you in the entire universe. That makes you very rare and special to the Lord. And the fact is that once we're with him, our fellowship will never, ever be broken forever and ever and ever. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the Psalms, we look at the, David's observation of how good and how pleasant it is for brethren who dwell together in unity. Thank you, Lord, that you do make us one by your spirit. And uh, we want to say thank you in our own way in, in worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So pray for the moms today. Lord, again, I pray for the, the Staffel family and Campbell's family. Lord, be with them in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.